Welcome to the show. My name is Michael Lynn, and this is the MongoDB Podcast. In today's episode, we delve into the exciting world of blockchain technology and its impact on business and analytics. We've got an exciting guest today, Taki, CEO of Playgrounds, a cutting-edge data integration and solution provider that is making waves in the industry. Playgrounds has a mission to make it easy for people to access and integrate blockchain data for their analytics and business insight needs. They've developed a user-friendly platform called Maestro, which enables users to interface with multiple blockchain networks and easily search for data models to answer questions about their business. Join us as we explore the innovative solution that Playgrounds is providing and learn how it is changing the game for blockchain data integration and analytics. Stay tuned. Did you know that MongoDB University has been completely redesigned from the ground up? Hands-on labs and quizzes, bite-sized video lectures, learn at your own pace, study guides and materials, 100% free access to MongoDB training. Visit mdb.link learn. Advance your career and learn MongoDB today. Taki, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. How about yourself? It's a beautiful day here just outside of Philadelphia. Where are you located in the world, Taki? I am in San Antonio, Texas. It's growing. It's the new Silicon Valley uh, right next to us, Austin. Thing, so. Can you talk a little bit more about like what Playgrounds is and who might be interested? Yeah, of course. So Playgrounds is a uh, essentially it's a data integrations and solutions provider that specifically focuses on providing easy access and integration solutions for blockchain data. Our target customers or markets or clients or, or really users of our product are anyone that needs on-chain data for analytics, for business insights. If you're a consumer of on-chain data to, at any degree, then you are um, someone that would benefit from the tech we build at Playgrounds. What's kind of interesting because like blockchain is an accessible technology. I mean, the whole idea behind it is that it's verifiable. It's a verifiable chain of data. And yet when you try and figure out where that data is and try and make access, make use of it, it's a challenge, right? So, so how does Playgrounds work? And talk about the coverage of the change that you're supporting today. Yeah. So to start off, I do agree that, you know, blockchain or, or Web3, as we call it, it's open, it's decentralized, it's permissionless. But, but the problem comes from the fact that it is decentralized. So that means that if anyone needs access to data um, or integration, they would have to try to interface with multiple sources to get the data they need. And that's because, you know, you have multiple chains. The UX of accessing blockchain data today is still very nascent, is very new. So you have to have a high level of technical expertise to actually know how to interface with whatever networks that you want to, and then have the expertise to build the tools to correctly model the data, organize it, query it if you want to, and then put it in whatever destination you want to. So we're still very early in the space. And what Playgrounds does is we provide an environment, a platform that makes it much more easier to interface with multiple networks, multiple chains at the same time. And then with a point and click system, um, create these pipelines that allows you to then query the data you want and then push it into whatever environment that you're already familiar with, where you don't have to learn the new skills to use. Um, so we're kind of the interface where I hope and I believe that using you know a UI UX 
that's much more familiar and friendly, that difficulty that comes with interfacing with blockchain um, and accessing blockchain data specifically um, becomes much more simpler. Mm. Um, and when it comes to the number of networks that, that we interface with, um, it's important to know that Playgrounds is built on top of the graph network itself. In the graph network, it, you know, we, within our industry, we call it the Google of, of blockchain data because um, it's, it's a decentralized network that uh, has a whole number of indexers, several, several thousands of them indexing this blockchain data and making it available to be queried. And Playgrounds just built a tech stack on top of that, leveraging this network. Mm. Okay. And you talked about the UX. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about the user experience. What does it look like? If you could describe it for folks listening to the podcast. Of course. So we have a, a really easy web app that we've developed, um, and it's called Maestro. And essentially, Maestro interfaces with um, any GraphQL endpoints, any GraphQL API. So you have a decentralized endpoint, you have the self-serve hosted um, Graph Studio. And essentially, you're able to, you know, search for whatever subgraph you want. And a subgraph really is just, you know, a data model. It represents some smart contract behavior that's on, on chain. And you're able to pull that into your Maestro environment. And from there, it, there's some introspection that happens on Maestro on the back end. Mm -hmm. And it provides you with the entities and the fields that you can then query. And then what you as a user would just have to do at this point is, okay, well, this subgraph, for example, represents some exchange on the blockchain, let's say the Uniswap decentralized exchange. And the subgraph provides you with entities like trade volumes, pricing, price for a particular token, the most recent swaps, the highest you know, trading volumes and pairs, the most active pairs that exist on, on a particular day or at a given point in time, all kinds of models, you name it, is available in the subgraph. It's modeled the entire behavior of the, of the Uniswap subgraph. Mm -hmm. What you can then do is access those different models, those entities, and say, all right, for my analytics work, I only care about, you know, the pricing of maybe two particular tokens, or I care about the trading volumes for the last 100 days, or, or you name it. Within Maestro, it's just point and click, right? So you say, I'm, I'm in the Uniswap subgraph. I only care about these entities. You click, 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 and then you, you basically, um, you know, wrap it up. And you say, all right, well, I want my data that's coming from these entities to be pushed into my, for example, my MongoDB database where my data team, my business can then do analytics because the data from the Uniswap DEX is necessary for us to do business. Mm -hmm. But our entire data stack is built on top of MongoDB. All right, well, stream the data from the subgraph using the Maestro pipeline into my business's MongoDB environment for my team to then do really good work for my business to make the insights that they need. So that's, wow. that's how easy it is. It's just points yeah. and click, like maybe four steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so MongoDB is not the only connector. What other data endpoints do you support? Right now we support BigQuery. We support Postgres. We're able to stream into a Google Sheets and by the end of the year, we'll be supporting Snowflake. Next year, we'll be supporting Databricks and, of course, S3. Wow, great. Well, that's great coverage. I mean, folks <laughs> should be able to, to make use of the, of the tool with those, uh, with those databases covered. Well, fantastic there. And so I'm curious about how MongoDB is leveraged in the stack, in the, in the Playground stack. 
Right now, MongoDB is used for the user and customer management service on the back end. Mm -hmm. um, and then as we you know, grow, we, we've definitely seen where we can have a lot more insights on behaviors and to understand the actual needs that our customers are experiencing. And we're using MongoDB to do a lot of our analytics to better understand the, the needs of our users. Of course, MongoDB is a target that we'll be pointing to. But internally within our company, MongoDB is helping us um, with a lot of our user analytics as well. So we can better serve the clients. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. MongoDB is a part of the stack. How did you make the decision to leverage MongoDB as a, a part of the stack? Well, we did a lot of, uh, you know, surveying and uh, just mm -hmm. kind of looking at different stacks that are out there. Mm -hmm. And it was the one that just fit the best because of how easy it is to use this NoSQL database management system. Um, it's, it's high performance. Uh, it's much more scalable. We do see us serving um, a large number of users over the next coming years. And it just made the most sense to use something that scales pretty easily and has high performance um, as part of its facet uh, to be built into our tech stack for internal analytics as well. So great, yeah. great. Wasn't, it was a no brainer really. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the crypto space. It's a, it's a strange mm -hmm. time for crypto, uh, mm -hmm. especially with FTX's failure and, and the kind of strange things happening in that space. Mm -hmm. How did you end up in the crypto space personally? How did you get interested in Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I really got into it in 2017. Uh, basically, it's just, you know, right after college, I was mm. investing what I was working, you know, just buying a few tokens on Binance here. I think it was buying XRP, Cardano. Basically, it was something that caught my interest to some degree where I played around with it, you know, not as a builder, but just as a participant of, of this, this new movement. I was so busy with my, my starting my career, I didn't really pay too much attention to it. I think my interest significantly picked up again um, a few years later when I started learning more about DeFi, decentralized finance, and how that's empowering you know, everyday people to take control of their finances, to take control of what they do with their money um, and bettering their lives and, and understanding how that whole system was built. That's when my interest peaked in and it really took off, you know, late mid to late last year when um, the birth of Olympus DAO, you know, became extremely mm -hmm. popular and Klima DAO. And I was, you know, engaged in these communities where I was building analytics web apps to help people in my fellow community members understand what was going on with these protocols on the blockchain. What does it mean when this protocol says the API, uh, the APY is you know, 10,000%. That sounds completely absurd. What does it mean? Well, here's the data to explain to you what you're doing when you interact with this protocol. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's when I, was, I started getting really involved in the blockchain space and, and figuring out how to build, how to participate. Um, and I've not turned back ever since. Yeah. Well, you mentioned DAO. I, I want to be cognizant that there might be listeners that are interested in the space that don't have the knowledge around some of the terminology. Explain what a DAO is. So a DAO, you know, short form for decentralized autonomous organization. And it's essentially a decentralized version of most institutions today. Uh, it's where the, the authority or control of the objective or the behavior of this organization is not determined by a single person. It's determined by all participants within the organization. So 
you could have a, a, a protocol or you can have a, a system of smart contracts that manages, you know, a hedge fund or manages um, some novel um, financial tool that exists in this in the Web3 space. Let's say, for example, MakerDAO, for example, they um, originally were built to you know, facilitate the creation of decentralized of a decentralized stablecoin called DAI. And the behavior of the protocol that is, is. Go ahead, sorry. Oh yeah, and the behavior of the of the protocol that is how much collateral is necessary to mint die and so on and so forth. All of that decisions was is made by the entire community. So a DAO basically just turns the script, it flips the script and says, decision making for this organization is now done by the people. Governance mm-hmm. is by the people. So everyone can participate in a decision in the behavior of this organization. Hmm. So from a very tough level, that's what a DAO does. Yeah. So participating in those decisions that are made, is that done through investment in the currency? Well, in a way, yes. So you would nest most DAOs or some DAOs would, you know, have a token that represents or some kind of ownership within the organization. And if you have that token, then you're able to mm-hmm. vote or stake or participate to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the general generally how things are done right now, but it might evolve over time as we yeah. get more leg- regulatory clarity. What does it mean to hold a token for an organization? Is that a security? Is it mm-hmm. not? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of complexities that could come into, um, into play, um, but until there's regulatory c- clarity, it's really how you want to define what governance means within the DAO. Yeah. So I realize you're you're not on the podcast to talk specifically about FTX, but I'm curious, and and I I'm not aware of what happened. I, I realize that FTX has has folded it; they've failed, and I'm curious about why that is. Like, what happened? If you if you care to weigh in, yeah. So I think you know this is just <laughs> the the whole FTX Alameda saga. Uh, it's really, it emphasizes the whole point of why we need blockchain and Web3 and mm-hmm. decentralization mm-hmm. today. Um, and it really just a failure of risk management. Um, and of course, trusting people to do the right thing um, and trusting people to execute on contracts and agreements correctly and honestly. If I were to remove myself from the chaos and the noise and to ask myself, what what was the, the failure mode? What actually happened here? I think it was really just humans, um, mm. humans being humans and maybe starting from a place of good intentions. But eventually, you know, there's a failure in, in judgment and you're not managing the risk and you, you think you can get away with something um, because people hold you to such high regards. Um, and, and ultimately, that's what happened. From a more technical standpoint, from the information that we have today, you know, that, that's publicly available at least, is that there was a lot of um, commingling of funds between funds and hedge fund Alameda and using customer funds um, without permission to mm-hmm. leverage and to margin. Of course, once the, the bank run started happening, customers realized that their funds were no longer where they were supposed to uh, mm-hmm. to be. And it became very apparent that 
when you deposited funds, it was going somewhere else and benefiting somebody else. And it was being used for other activities without your knowledge. Um, and now people are stuck. The money has been essentially stolen from them. Mm. Um, and it's, it's quite sad. Uh, there's a lot of people with their life savings have been lost. It's yeah. quite a sad, sad season in the crypto space. It's, it seems a lot like we've seen this before with, with Bernie Madoff and the Ponzi mm -hmm. scheme. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Apart from FTX's fall, there's been a lot of hating going on in the crypto space. Mm -hmm. And some of it is founded. Some of it is not. I'm curious with your take on some of the haters, like floating some negative information about the entire crypto space. Mm -hmm. Well, I tend to not pay attention to the haters or the, the negative speak, of course, criticism is good. That's, that's how you grow. Mm -hmm. But what I always anchor myself back to what drove me into this, into this space. Why, why am I in web three today? Why, why am I building in this space? And it really is because all of this web three blockchain tech, it levels a playing field. So take away the human actors, take away the, the human component of this whole thing. Is there value to the technology that's been built today? And my answer to that is absolutely there's value. Um, it ch it's changing people's lives. It's changing the future, really. Because you have, if you, let's, let's start from the very beginning, right? We live in a, in a highly so social civilization where every aspect of our lives relies heavily on contractual agreements and transactions between ourselves. So you will have an agreement with you and your neighbor or your local mm -hmm. community or a government or a business. Everything we do is based on some form of contract, some form of agreement. And these contractual agreements are either formal or informal, but they're structured in a way to feel the movement and to drive our lives and society to progress humanity forward. So like, for example, you form an agreement with your local government or just the federal government, for example, and the, the, the terms of agreement that you make, whether you sign a document or not, really, we've all made this in the country is I will pay my taxes for the protection of life, freedom, liberties, or I will pay my taxes in exchange for education and resources for better quality of life, research and the advancement of medicine, right? So you have this agreement um, with the government, one thing in exchange for another, or let's say another one is you have an agreement with your job. Mm -hmm. I will show up at this point in time. I will dedicate my efforts, creativity, and time to develop some software or to have this podcast or mm -hmm. whatever it is that's the, the medium, the exchange that, of value that's happening there. You benefit, the other counterparty benefits, and ultimately the goal is everyone in your community and the world will benefit as well. And without these structures in place, there will be no progress and things will basically grind to a halt. So, you know, I always go back to, all right, what is the core of, of this? Like, why is this, why does this matter? Well, it matters because these structures today, this agreement, they are failing hard, right? That it's, it's not efficient today because of centralization, because there's always this counterparty risk that's involved. There's always a middleman in there. And you always have to trust the other guy at the other side of the fence, which makes mm -hmm. it extremely, um, have high level of friction and, and is extremely inefficient. So it's, it's completely irregular and really the massively wealthy and powerful are the ones who can mostly benefit from the inefficiencies of the system and mm -hmm. leave everyone else to kind of hope that it would execute and benefit them when they need it, mm. right? 
Mm-hmm. So blockchain technology outside of the, these actors like SBF and whatever, all these rogue actors or people who are hating on the tech, what I urge them to do is consider that, consider the, the structures that's failing and consider the solution that builders or just really the, the thesis of blockchain and Web3 is trying to propose. It's saying that we are providing you with something that's decentralized, that is cryptographically guaranteed to always work when you want it to work. Mm-hmm. There's deterministic truth baked into the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's open. It's permissionless. It's decentralized. It's transparent. Anyone, regardless of race, age, gender, wealth, socioeconomic status, can interact with this system in a fair way. The, lay, the, the playing field is completely leveled. Why wouldn't you want to participate in this new era, this new age, mm-hmm. you know? Why would you want to stay in a system that you have to trust someone when you can trust something that's guaranteed to work all the time without an intermediate coming in and saying, trust me, trust my name, I will, I will execute when the time comes. That doesn't well, always work. If I could play devil's advocate. Of course. There is an expectation of privacy mm-hmm. when I turn over my driver's license. Mm-hmm or I, I submit tax forms, there is an expectation that the data that I'm transferring will remain private. And there is trust. I'm trusting that the person I hand that to is not going to use that maliciously or copy it down and, and use it out of band. Mm-hmm. And when I enter into a cryptographic exchange, a chain to exchange this data, the same trust is there but I don't know who is managing the infrastructure and I don't understand what the privacy, what the delivery on that expectation of privacy is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a very good point. And the whole question of privacy is something that a lot of builders in the blockchain space are trying to, to tackle, mm. right? But I would break up your thought, your question into two pieces. The first half being, how do I trust the person behind this? Mm-hmm. And then the second being the privacy issue. The first one is answered in that you don't have to trust the person behind the protocol. The protocol is a smart contract. Mm-hmm. It's, it's code. It's code that is written. The terms of the, the contract, the terms and agreement is baked into the code and deployed into the blockchain. And as a result of that, anyone can look at it and verify you don't have to trust someone on the other side of the computer or of the table to, you know, to do the work, to execute, because the code itself is self-executing. Mm-hmm. As long as the conditions are met, it will execute all the time. Mm-hmm. A human being on the other side is no longer necessary. Now, when it comes to privacy, there's multiple ways to look at it. Of course, there, you know, there are protocols that exist that would try to hide your your transactions or hide your activities but there's also right now a level of privacy that comes in the fact that identities and and who you are and what you choose to be on the blockchain is just a string of characters right it's just an Mm -hmm. address so unless you're doxing yourself and saying this address belongs to me really it's just some address exists on the blockchain Mm -hmm. and it's doing this transactions but who knows who it is that's a weak answer, in my opinion, and I would admit it is a weak answer. 
Uh, but the, the problem of privacy, I believe, is still one of the many, many challenges that we're trying to solve with mm. blockchain and, and Web3 um, yeah. in general. Yeah, it's, so privacy is antithetical to the open nature of the chain. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. But there, there's been there's been a lot of strides in trying to you know increase the level of privacy. Maybe you have a you know a private chain, for example, or uh, some way to mask your identity on there. But I think we're still a long way to go when it comes to you know answering the question of can I use blockchain and be one hundred percent. Um, protected, like my privacy mm -hmm. is 100% protected. I don't yeah. know the answer to that yet, but I think it's still being built. Yeah, yeah. Well, Taki, I appreciate you uh, answering my questions and, and helping me understand a bit more about this technology. I'm curious about Playgrounds. Let's bring it back to, to Playgrounds. Tell me about some of the use cases that your customers are, are using your product for today. Absolutely. So, um, of course, a, a big one is yeah, accessing data models from the blockchain across multiple networks. Um, I'll give a, a good example. We have one of our customers, Edgecaser. He's the lead data scientist for the Olympus DAO protocol. And Olympus DAO, just for, for context, is a DAO whose objective is to create a, uh, a suffering-free, decentralized, a truly decentralized um, currency that can be used for transactions and it's used um, across all networks. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's a very big goal and, and mm. they're, they're making a lot of progress in making like a true decentralized currency that anyone can use for DeFi or anything really. So anyway, there's a lot of data that's being generated by this protocol. There's a lot of activities, there's loans that are being made, there's transactions, there's bonds that are being made. They're operating like a, like a decentralized version of a central bank, for example. Mm. Now, what he does with our subgraph, or actually, let me take that back. I'm going to pause that. Yeah, sure. And I want to start from the source. So what he does is he uses Maestro to interact with the Olympus DAO subgraphs. Now the subgraphs are basically are the data models that is, that have been deployed by the data team at Olympus DAO, and it it basically models the behavior of the protocol. So everything that that the protocol does, it indexes and, and, and organizes in some way. And what he does is he comes to us using Maestro. He connects to that subgraph. He selects the exact entities he's interested in. In this case, okay, how many holders are in the protocol today? How many participants? How many loans were made? Uh, what's the, the price of the token today? Uh, whatever it's that's necessary for him. And he's streaming that, in his case, to a BigQuery um, data warehouse, where he's then able to do his analytics and provide insights and value to the Olympus DAO policy team, who will basically say, okay, this is the behavior we're observing. Uh, there is some kind of deviation from the objective. We need to fine tune those parameters um, to get the system back to what it should be doing. Um, so that's how he uses, that's how Edge Caser uses um, Maestro for his mm. data analytics needs. Mm -hmm. um, we have similar use cases as well. Another good example uh, is one of our, our users, his name is, is Evan, and he uses, he's a, researcher, like hardcore researcher. This guy writes really uh, insightful research papers on MEVs and trying to understand MAVs. these MEVs, um, MEVs, minimal extractable values. So basically there's these bots that exist on chain that mm -hmm. are doing transactions and mm -hmm. they try to they take advantage of arbitrage to boost efficiencies. 
Um, and he, he does a lot of really interesting research on the effects of MEVs on a protocol. Are they extracting value from it or are they helping it? What, how does that affect, how do they affect liquidity for mm -hmm. a particular system? And, and he's written two papers um, using our tech to, to monitor the behaviors of this, this entities on the blockchain and extracting insights and saying like, guys, the liquidity for this protocol tanked this, this period because these entities that no one else would have paid attention to or observed are now made true. They're made known because I have access to this data source. So that's how he's able to use our tech to, to write high quality, meaningful, insightful research papers that are helping members of the communities is targeting um, understand the protocol better and make better decisions. The accessibility and the visibility that your product provides, right? I mean, the data is there, right? It's there. It's just not real usable like exactly. without a tool like Playgrounds. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's the goal. The goal is that anyone, regardless of expertise, should be able to easily access blockchain data and get insights in little to no time. Our goal is to cut the time to insights. And, mm. and we're, that's what we're doing today. Mm. What a great mission. Yes, sir. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Taki, I've enjoyed our discussion. We're just at a half hour. I want to ask you, is there anything else that you, you feel like the listeners should really know? I think just getting more exposure to Web3, really, and seeing what's out there, what's being built. There is a whole world that's, that's being created in this space. And I truly do believe that, that blockchain and Web3 in general will be ubiquitous in the lives of everyone, regardless of where you are on the planet. And just as everyone has an email address, I think everyone will have, everyone's lives will be touched in one form or the other by Web3, mm -hmm. whether we like it or not, I think it's coming. Yeah. And so it's more like a call to action because there are a lot of brilliant minds in the Mongo community, I believe, would probably be obsessed as much as I am once they touch a little bit into the blockchain space and realize like, okay, this is, we've had web one, we've had web two, this is web three, this is the future of the internet. I want to participate. I want to play a role in building that future. Um, it's, it's quite exciting and it's mostly just a call to action to join the, to join the revolution and build. Let's build together. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. Is fiat going to die? Is the current monetary currency system going to die in favor of Web3 and crypto? I don't know if fiat would die per se. I, I think fiat would, has a lot of staying power. And many people say it's going to zero. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But I think that it will take a different form. Um, like for example, we have the CBDCs that are coming up, central bank digital currencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that you know all of that. I mean, all of that is all they're all digital currencies. They're all based on Web three. I think it's, you see where we're heading, where things don't necessarily die per se or go away. Mm -hmm. They just evolve with yeah. the new world. They evolve. Yeah. And, and I think that's where things are heading. I would agree. I would agree. And it's <laughs> echoing today. People are disconnecting. They're unbanking. Exactly. They're, they're uncabling. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of the Why signs are here. Cash? Exactly. Why use physical cash when you can yeah. use uh, digital currency and have instant settlements? Yeah. Um, and that's, 
that's something that really excites me is, you know, the, the ability for cross-border transactions and cross-border payments that settle instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's an exciting future that, that's heading our way. And I think we're already there. We're just in an early adopter stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taki, thanks so much for joining me today. And where can folks go to get more information about Playgrounds? So we have our website, playgrounds.network. We also have our Twitter, which is also Playgrounds Analytics. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Tachi, uh, zero touch coma. And I'm happy to chat. We also have our Discord, um, where we have our community of builders and users who are engaged in using Playgrounds to access blockchain data. And stop by and, and I will send you the link to share with your community. Yeah, we'll check the show notes for all those links and resources. And thanks once again for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thanks once again to Taki. Thanks to you, the listeners. Appreciate you listening. We'd love to get some feedback. You can give us a rating on Spotify. You can leave a comment and a rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd greatly appreciate the feedback. Let us know what you like, what you'd like to hear, perhaps. Once again, visit mongodb.link learn to learn MongoDB for free at your own pace. Many different developer paths from introductions to MongoDB to language-specific courses like Node.js. You can even get certification. Visit mdb.link learn. Advance your career and learn MongoDB today. Have a great day.